Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. When it comes to skiing, product design, filmmaking, and art, few people have exhibited a more distinctive style than Eric Pollard. But for someone who has been working at the forefront of these mediums for about 20 years now, we actually know a relatively small amount about the person behind the products, the films, and the skiing. So in this conversation, we talk to Eric about skiing and art and creating and evolving, and we discuss his new film, Drawn From Here, that comes out this Wednesday, December 4th, and we also talk about his book that shares the same title, Drawn From Here, which comes out mid-December and that will be available for sale on lineskis.com. Both the book and the film are terrific, and neither could be called conventional, which should come as no surprise to those of you who are familiar with any of Eric's work. So let's get right to it. Well, Eric, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm in a friend's garage <laughs> in, <laughs> in Oregon. <laughs> A friend's garage in Oregon. That's your podcast studio for the day. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is the space. It, may I ask? I mean, what was it in particular about your friend's garage where you thought this is the this is the optimal spot to to have this conversation? It's a good question. <laughs> I chose this spot because there's a lot of noise at my house, and I have no cell or internet kind of coverage at my house, so I had to come to my friend's house. And my kids aren't here. I have no dogs here. So, you know, at my house, it's loud. Well, well, we are very appreciative of that. And thank your friend for me for, uh, for letting <laughs> you into his garage. That's great. Thank you, Chris and Zach. Well, hey, this is cool. And uh, as I, I mentioned to you a minute ago before we started recording, I, I feel like recently on this podcast, we just keep talking about you a lot. And so whether it was Dash Long, you know, talking about what an influence you'd been on on uh, his skiing and his career and how he thinks about skis, or whether it was a recent conversation with Leventhal or, you know, the conversations I've had with Jed Yeiser, et cetera, you just keep coming up. And so, you know, this feels very fitting and sort of long overdue. Right on. Yeah. I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> you- <laughs> well, given that we're talking about a new film of yours and a new book of yours, and I've had the chance to check out both. They are very good, and so I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to disappoint if we keep on these two projects of yours because they're both very good, and I really want to try to drill down a bit on both of those. So I think, I think we're on firm territory here. Thank you. Let's start with the film. This is an unusual one, which maybe fans of Nimbus. The fact that it's unusual isn't all that unusual, I suppose. Uh, nevertheless, especially if somebody comes in thinking of this as just a ski film, it's fair to call this unusual. You actually open the movie with a quote from one of my personal favorites, Henry David Thoreau. And the opening image on the screen is his quote, which is, 
the world is but a canvas to our imagination. So why open this film with this quote? I think I chose that quote for a number of reasons. It, it resonated with me on so many levels. Um, <laughs> and not to get too deep or... Well, the last thing I wanted to do was to come off as pretentious in this in this project because all it is is a ski film, and it just I just set out to capture some of my life and mold it into you know a story in a way that uh, that has an arc and a flow. But that quote d- does mean a lot to me, and just in terms of simple living and some of the concepts that Thoreau seems to have. Um, uh, believed in, I just thought, well, there's this level of what I've kind of arrived at in terms of how I, how I approach life. And it is just trying to kind of cut through the nonsense and just enjoy the things that I know I, that, that are available to me every day. And, um, and then there's kind of the face value of the quote, um, which, which can be taken a different way, which is very applicable to how I see my life, which is just kind of taking all the input that I experience through, you know, my journey and, and creating some sort of output through a number of media. And, uh, so, so yeah, that's kind of why I started with it. There were so many contenders for how to introduce the film. And, you know, a lot of the film was, uh, kind of doing, you know, tons and tons of research through uh, and capturing a lot of audio quotes. And that, oddly enough, that was one of the ones I just couldn't, I couldn't find a sample of that. And I was like, well, this is a great space for it to, to introduce it. And, and so, yeah, that's why I introduced it. So in the opening of this film, you have a string of quotes and commentary from a number of artists and scientists about creativity and art and individuality. And it's really great. And and this is kind of laid against the backdrop of some beautiful skiing and related imagery. Um, it just works really well. And so I think anybody interested in sort of the creative process <laughs> and certainly anybody interested in your own creative process, this film and the accompanying book that we'll be talking about and that comes out uh, in a few weeks, um, this is that, you know? This is that thing that uh, if if this is what you're interested in, here you go. Um, I guess I was curious with some of these quotes. I mean, you mentioned recently trying to find audio samples. How has the collection or capturing of these come together well i it happened over three or four years i just started kind of i suppose i i began with this something i wanted to say so i started to kind of write down and storyboard this concept of of uh, an idea and i then i guess i approached it by just listening to uh different books and podcasts and just radio and um, even going into like, you know, Dick Cavett, like television stuff, just trying to find people that were uh, inspiring to me, people that maybe, you know, my father introduced me to 
like Joseph Campbell or um, other friends might, I, you know, just you just kind of hear these things. It's kind of like passes around like music, you know, people be like, oh, have you heard this band or this or that? And, and um, so I started kind of taking note of it and and then recording it and using it in a way like almost like a hip art, pop artist would, you know, just like kind of taking these samples and 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 pulling them out of context and using them for your own. So that's kind of how I approached that, but it took a long time. And I guess, I think, I think it's really just from the last few years, but I'm sure a lot of it is a little like seated a little deeper than that, <laughs> you know, things that I knew I would always come back to like, um, follow your own bliss is like my father's kind of mantra in a way. So that one, that's been like a guiding force. And that was, you know, some of these things are like nods to influential people that have helped guide me in that, in that sense. There is among many of these quotes and a lot of this commentary, there is one quote that comes up twice in the film. And I think it's only one, like it happens one time. And that quote is to do a dangerous thing with style that is what I call art. So why does this why does this get double double billing in your film? You know, I think what Bukowski was getting at there is that like the way you do something is art, and he kind of gets into um, you know boxing as an art. <laughs> like cats have style. He just kind of riffs on this whole thing, and I was like, you know, this it's kind of at the center of this whole thing. Like, I don't think of any one of these things as like something that defines me. Like people are like, Oh, you're a painter or you're an illustrator, filmmaker, or like a skier. There's like an artist. It's like, I'm not, I'm like uncomfortable with that. <laughs> you know, that like, it feels like you're just limiting someone. You just, you, it's like, you want that like sound bite for media to be able to sell something so it's like for me i'm like nah. you know art is just the way you do something it's just it's it's like forever skiing was like do we judge on style <laughs> you know like competitions people were like are we gonna judge the style and i was like it's just cracking me up it's like well style is everything you know it it's the thing that's like most important to me well and i think I mean, the word dangerous there is just super interesting, right? I mean, things can be physically dangerous or they can be dangerous to a career path. Um, there's, there's a lot of different forms of danger. It did just get me thinking about what is art. And here, right, if we take Bukowski at the definition to do a conservative thing or to do a safe thing with style, it's, I mean, he's going to, he's going to reject that as art. And I think that's just really interesting and um, probably something germane to any of us out there interested in doing any kind of work in any kind of medium. You can play it safe and there's probably good reasons to do that from time to time. Bukowski's not going to let you call that work art. No, for sure. It gets into like, you run the risk of being a hack. If you do something safe, if you're not real, like one of the prerequisites to being an artist is you have to have, you have to find your own voice. It's like, you're not going to just pick up a guitar and just like 
bust out some amazing lick. You've got to kind of learn everybody else's licks. And then, and then you, once you figure out how to, to express yourself, you'll be able to, to speak through it. Right. And so you've got to find your voice. And then step two is once you find your voice, you have to have the courage to say something. And like, otherwise it's just, I, I don't know what it is, but it's not art. You know, it's like, if you're just like throwing something up, something up there, it's, that's not reflective of your opinion, then it's, then it's just an image. But what makes it art is that it has emotional resonance, meaning that it's like, you live on this earth, you know, if you, if you say, hey, this is what stands out to me, that's art in a way. So one thing that I actually don't feel like I've got a good handle on in your own story and career. You know, you mentioned earlier, the world often wants to keep us in a box or tell us, you know, stay in your lane. I don't think I have a good sense of in your own career, how frequently you were told, shut up and get back in your lane or stop screwing around with this art stuff. Go hit that jump again. You know, no, I don't have like some grand story as to as to like what sparked like some sort of reason for me to to kind of have that outside of the fact that I loved skiing it was like the thing that I liked doing more than everything else and it was just an uphill battle <laughs> like a lot of people are resistant to change and so yeah for the early part of my ski career there was so many people saying oh you can't you can't possibly do that with skis um or you have to use ski poles like i didn't use ski poles when i was like trying to qualify for the x games for example i'd be i'd go to like the canadian open and they'd be like sorry you can't compete unless you use these ski poles and i'd be like really so i'd like borrow chris osnes's ski poles which were like you know, huge. <laughs> they look like cross country size poles. And I'd be like, you know, using these poles. And it just like, there was so much of, yeah, we're going to allow you to exist in this, but we're certainly not going to welcome it. We're going to kind of just tolerate it. And, you know, I think that helped shape a lot of my decisions in terms of you know, working with ski, like, like production companies, for instance, and then starting my own. It's just, there's a certain like amount of diluting that happens um, from that, you know, where you could just, you could have so, so much more of a potent voice if you're able to just find a way to play by your own rules, <laughs> basically. I think a lot about, um, I mean, kind of weirdly maybe, but like <laughs> when Kanye was like trying to do his stuff with fashion that got met with a lot of like, go back to rapping. And I just was like, what kind of attitude is that? I mean, I mean, talk about like, whether there's a racism built in that or just to like, dude, I like you as a rapper, go back and sing for me. And he's like, I've been doing that my whole life. This is another avenue and medium that I'm interested in. God damn it, I have the right to do that. And it was very weird to me, like the, the coverage of that, the very public coverage of that, where it seemed like most of the 
media attention was like silly Kanye. Like, why doesn't he get back in his lane? And I'm like, this is America, right? Right. Yeah, it's typically, it's like political. People are like, we don't want you to talk about things, you know, uh, of consequence. Um, but yeah, even in something as um, in the creative realm like that of people saying, stay in your lane, that's that's wild to me. You know, and I have no, there's nothing for me like, uh, more than anything, I just think it's, the reason why I have that attitude is just after observing life <laughs> from through my lens, from my short time here thus far, one of my takeaways is is that. And I just try to, I, I live a life that is informed by that to some degree. We're going to transition here to Bob Seeger. Yeah. <laughs> now, this was a surprise for me. And it was a surprise for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's pretty uncommon anymore in films these days for an entire song to be played, right? Not just not just a 10-second snippet. But I think we actually get the entirety of Night Moves. So why Night Moves? Well, we finally decided on Night Moves. And I say we... I was working with the two cinematographers. I was working with uh, Zach Almader and Jeff Jeff Wright. We worked on this film closely together and essentially lived together for, for the project for periods of the year. And they were like the cats that I consulted with all the time. And we were trying to find the right fit. We needed a really dynamic song to drive all these different directions of photography that we had employed. And so... Night Moves was one of the songs that we found that was really dynamic. It had, you know, fast parts and slow parts and it, it had the right kind of um, tone to it. So so in that sense alone, it, it was just it just kind of had the the correct um, dynamic range that we were looking for. But like you said, it, it surprised you. And, and we wanted to do that. I, what I didn't want this film to be was some you know, dramatic, pretentious thing, which maybe it is, I, I don't know. But what I wanted it to be something that basically got back, like the resolution of the film is very much that I'm so thankful that I can still do the thing that I love most in this world. And, and I wanted it to be kind of this amalgamation of, of like crashes and friends and family and kind of skiing all put together. And I needed something to house it. And I also needed, like I said, I needed that kind of to, to kind of jolt the viewer because although it's a short film, I mean, I love ski films, snowboard films, surf. I love film period. And I, and I can watch it. I can watch raw, but, but asking somebody to sit through a lot, you know, a lot, you're like 10 minutes into the film by the time you get to night moves, night moves, I needed to jolt them and kind of wake them back up and change gears. And so that's, that's kind of why we, why we landed there. We spent more time. I watched it with a few friends uh, again this morning and we, we spent a lot of time wondering how much pressure we should be placing on the lyrics to that song. <laughs> well, you know, that's the beauty of lyrics, right? And is that 
it's like art. The viewer is kind of what makes it uh, art, right? Like viewer sees red and blue mixed in a certain way, it becomes purple. Like it's only the viewer that makes it purple. Like pointillism, when you when you look at red and blue and it's just kind of taken uh, in a snippet, it doesn't look like that. The, the viewer makes it that way. And, and the same is true of like lyrics to a song. It's just like, they mean something different to each person. And that's very true for the entire narrative of this project. Like it means something so specific to me I mean, it really does. Like this project took me ages to put together and to create the correct arc to this story. And I had some incredibly specific, um, I guess you would call it uh, words and thoughts and ideas that I wanted to articulate, but I had to find other people to say them because it was the, it was the narrative style that I had chosen. And, and so in that way, it says something for me, but it also, for everybody that I've showed it to, they seem to be able to put themselves in the, in the driver's seat in a way they're like, it kind of, it becomes about them, you know, like, and that's, that was, that was intentional. That was something that we noticed like straight away, you know, like I think I cut something the very first year we, we worked towards this, which was like three three or maybe even four years ago. I can't even recall at this point. And I was like, and, I, and it was like the very beginnings of this piece. And a few people were having some really emotional reactions. And I thought, well, that's odd. This is supposed to be about, you know, I'm trying to say something here, but I would, you know, I would show people like my sister-in-law and she would get like teary eyed. And I was like, wait a minute, there, she's, this is about her, you know, like she's interpreting this narrative in her own way. So yeah, just just as just as the lyrics of Night Moves can mean something to, to different people, it's the narrative is is very similar in that way. One more thing I need to ask you about this film. I kind of think of the film in in you know as a triptych or something, or like it, it. There's three parts to me. I mean, there's the sort of opening stuff, then there's kind of the Night Moves portion, and it was really surprising to me also the final. Is it six minutes? What would you like to say about the way this film closes? Yeah, there's so much to say about it. Um, that the film is like 15 minutes long, and and like like you say, there's there's a quite a long, I don't know, conclusion or basically behind the scenes part of the film. It's funny before it was actually like a 10 minute film and the credits were like 15 minutes long. And, and, you know, this, <laughs> so this film went through, it morphed and evolved as we reacted to, um, well, as we, you know, compiled imagery and, and, and figured out how we could tell the story. We, it was really hard for me in the editing room to try to sculpt it into something cohesive, but, um, well, I should let me let me back up and just by saying like credits are always really important to me. Like if you look at any of like the credits that we had cut for any of the other films we had done at Nimbus, it's like it's like one of those things that for me is uh, imagery that's not just I don't want it to hit the floor, you know. And it's imagery that we shot really in, like we were really intentional or deliberate in shooting a lot of that stuff. And it, there was things I was trying to connect 
the dots for the audience. Um, and, and so, um, in this, in this particular one, there's people that I really wanted to thank that, that, that that's a big part of it. And then there's, there's other elements that are, uh, part of the story, I, I suppose, in a way that I, I just felt needed to help. I needed the credits to contextualize the film. And although it comes afterwards, I feel like it, it actually helps the audience go, oh, okay, I see. That's like, that's the, that's how they went about doing this. Or, oh, that's what that means. Like in a film, you have to condense things so much. You have to, you only have, you know, seconds on the screen. And, and those seconds can take a lot of effort. You know, an idea is just this kind of, you know, loose thing. Like, oh, okay, I've got this idea. We could create a podcast about, you know, interviewing people with, you know, dental instruments in their mouth. But like to, to follow through with that idea is there's a lot of steps to it. And um, the same is true of cinema or ski design or art, um, graphic work, anything like that. It's, it's just an idea until you start trying to execute it. And, and um uh, I just wanted to bring people into that a little bit more and elaborate on it further. And, and like I said, kind of contextualize it in, to some degree. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. You'll notice I hesitated from calling it the credits because it really is like a third of the film. And I have to say, I mean, it's it's beautifully done. And I had a couple of thoughts watching it. One is it kind of felt like you were saying goodbye. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is goodbye um, to a chapter of my life, for sure. Definitely. And I, it's not necessarily like a... Sh I never announced like, oh, I'm going to go pro as a skier. That's not something um, that you can announce. And in the, same, in the same way, this film is very much an announcement of, look how much my focus has shifted. Like I'm no longer the guy who's just practicing how to do nose slides on rails or the guy who's working day in and out trying to figure out how to do a, you know, cab sevens um, on step downs in the backcountry, or the guy who's, you know, you know, my, my career as a skier has kind of taken on all these different things and my focus has shifted and so many things have happened in parallel. You know, I've throughout the entirety of, my skiing, uh, the basis for all the other media that I work in has been skiing, right? So it's just easy to be like, oh, okay, you know, if I'm trying something as an athlete, then I'll work to evolve my equipment so I can do it better. And that's where all my ski designs came from. And likewise, my, uh, you know, if I'm trying to communicate something and capture something, Maybe I should just handle the the filmmaking myself, and and so I would just dive into all these things, kind of um, at the same time, and simultaneously work towards them. Um, but in that effort, I was taking very genuine deep dives into the world of design and filmmaking, and they were pretty consuming, especially throughout those Nimbus years. I remember talking with you know. <laughs> people and be like, dude, you're going to burn out. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no way you can, you know, film and edit and direct and ski like the amount with the frequency that you're doing. It's just, there's no way that you can, that you can maintain that. And they, 
to some degree they were right. You know, we, we couldn't, the band did blow apart. Um, but that was largely because we all started families and, but, but also to some degree I couldn't keep it together. I couldn't possibly edit the amount I was editing and continue to be a professional skier. So I get, I get what you're, I hear what you're saying um, in terms of like, you did say, you know, this feels like a goodbye. I think it's more, this film to me is just an acknowledgement of it's not my main focus anymore. Like I'll always be a skier. I'll always um, have something to say as a skier, but my, but my focus has certainly shifted and is now much more, um, you know, for the last like decade, much of my effort has gone into product development, for instance. So it's, it's, I just wanted to kind of help show how, um, much passion I, I put into that, um, into that like kind of silo of, of work. Another thing about that ending, the the two main takeaways I had is on the one hand, it, it you know as I said, this felt like you were saying goodbye, and I think you just articulated this really well, what you were doing. The other thing that really struck me was this actually needs to be a genre, a new genre called the like thank you film, and maybe this exists and I've missed it. But I was like, and this is going to be problematic because I'm not a good filmmaker or anything, but like this idea maybe that every like 10 years, we all have to make our own individual films that just run through our lives, thanking again, the kind of formative folks, the people who've been there for us, the people who have come into our lives, maybe in the last five to 10 years. Like it, it really, if it functions as a goodbye and that sounds kind of sad, it also strikes me as like, we all need to be now we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving. And so hopefully, hopefully if that holiday is still functioning as anything other than, you know, like a difficult logistical dinner, right. Uh, to bring people together. I mean, hopefully we're doing this regularly, but it was really beautiful. I thought. And again, really, truly, I was like, we all, this this should be a genre. We should give this a name. And it's like, oh, yeah, my 10th year thank you film uh, is is coming up and I need to reshoot that. And what a wonderful way to just express gratitude to all of the folks that have been kind of involved in our own journey. And I really think that this functions and, and does that incredibly well and was so good apparently it got me to think this should be a new film genre that we all should have to do <laughs> it's such a it, that's i like that i like that a lot and it's for me it definitely functioned as that i mean first and foremost there were so many people that i wanted to thank i mean my life is the result of collaborations it, it's and with so many different people and I don't often get the chance to say thank you to them. Like Jed Yeiser, for instance, you said he was one of the first people that, or the first uh, guest you had on the podcast. Jed and I, you know, our paths kind of intersected for, for a period at Line Skis. And he's an, he's an engineer that I worked with there. And we had some really good times working on a common goal together. And that's a special 
relationship that we don't really get the chance to talk about or acknowledge at all because because of how things are marketed and how concise and repetitive marketing needs to be. It just doesn't come into the scope of the story. But Jed, for instance, um, I wanted to thank, and I kind of got the chance in the book to some degree to say, to say thank you to Jed and, and in the film just to a degree. Let's talk about the book. Tell me about this idea to come out with a film and a book of the same name. Talk to me about that and when you started thinking about that possibility. Well, I, when I began this film project, it just seemed like it was going to be too difficult to elaborate on some of the concepts in, in a film. Like you were just going to be able to have this very pointed um, story, but that you weren't going to be able to give a very comprehensive um, under or offer up a very comprehensive understanding of some of the concepts that you were offering up. Right. And I was like, well, I, I would really like to be able to do that. Um, and so the book was a way for me to be able to elaborate on some of those concepts. And so early on in the project, I had purchased some nice camera gear, some, some nice still imagery gear. And I just started taking photos to help connect the dots because I was doing that with the cinematography. I mean, I was definitely, connecting dots um, uh, with motion imagery. And so I thought, well, why don't I just start doing that with the still imagery? And at the end of this, I'll be able to, to kind of be, uh, to kind of drill down into some of these ideas more than uh, I'm able to in the book, or excuse me, in, in the film. And so, uh, yeah, that's like how it kind of began. But I will say that the film was so consuming and so challenging to put together that I didn't really get a chance to do that. I think, you know, I had compiled the imagery, which is one thing, but the film took so much effort. It was, it was a, a gnarly, gnarly task. And so I basically was able to dive into the book in earnest in, let's see, July or maybe I think August rather I dove into the to the book and was like okay I have like basically two months or or something like that to to kind of sort through and source what effectively turned into 65,000 images that I had like taken and sourced from photographers and then and organize it in such a way and and kind of tell a story through it and and then at the very, at one stage, I finally kind of got it all together and put up some mood boards. And I asked um, Jamie Voss to come down, who's a writer who I had worked with. And he helped um, uh, kind of create some anecdotal uh, pieces to the, to, the, to the book that were kind of in, in, interspersed into, into the book. And so it was... I don't know. It was, it was a crazy project. I, I have like, I feel like I've been on a sprint for, for a long time with this thing. But now that it's like right now, like I'm still like kind of working on the book, right? Like there's still like proofs coming in and aspects of some of the aesthetics with the, with the cover and some of the um, edge painting and things like that, things are getting pushed back and, 
And luckily, Line Skis stepped in and bought all the books because otherwise I was going to need to take all the orders and fulfill all the orders myself. And I was like, man, I don't think I can do that. We, we did that for a book that we had done that was with the, after the Skyfalls film. And, and I wasn't prepared for that. And to, I wasn't prepared to do it again. So, yeah. This is what I think is so special about the book. And we talk a ton these days about creativity and being inspired by things. And, you know, there's inspiration is everywhere and blah, 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 right? The thing about this book is it takes those sort of nebulous or grandiose ideas and goes very concrete, very matter of fact. And so I think for those who think of, oh yes, Eric Pollard, right? Such a creative person and he's an artist and a skier and a, and a product designer and a apparel designer. This thing is beautiful in the sense that it's just like, here's this photo that you literally took of a tree in Japan. And then we get to see on the accompanying page this is what I did with it. And this is how I kind of refined that and started with this image and refined it into this drawing, you know, or this kind of logo. And I think that is such an interesting and cool thing. I'm sure books like that or genres like that exist, but I'm not sure I've ever seen such a thing coming, well, from a skier. I have no idea. I you probably don't know this about me, but I live like a really insulated life. I don't have, for for instance, I don't have internet at my house. And so I'm not like out there. I have no idea what's, what's out there, I should say. And um, although I love film and I love books, I have no idea if that's a, a genre. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to, it's not, my art is really simple you know, and a lot of it is just trying to get to the core of something. And what's also unique is what's afforded me these experiences has been skiing. And so I felt that I, I don't, I don't feel like I owed it to skiing, but I wanted to show like, I don't know, in a way how grateful I am for that and how like I, I I'm trying to acknowledge like how incredibly lucky I am and fortunate and and a lot of that playbook, if you will, of like where I'm drawing from, I've been nervous to show people because, because I feel like people to some degree will appropriate it and misuse it, you know, for, for marketing purposes and that sort of thing. But I just, and that, that's that kind of, I've been somewhat, I wouldn't say secretive about how, what my process was, but I'm, I'm aware of the fact that other people might draw from it a little too heavily, but I just felt that it was time, you know, after 20 years of doing this and, and kind of having this incredibly simple process and, and having this kind of relationship with consumers and audiences where I was creating products and they were buying products or I was creating films and they were watching the films. I wanted to draw the curtain back a bit and just say like, Hey, this is, this is how I go about it. This is, you know, this is as simple as it is. I was, and this is, I'm going to blame you for this um, since I'm about to mention Thoreau again. So anytime I can make, <laughs> you know, put that on someone else, I'll take that. But um, one of the things I always say about his book, Walden, 
and why that book I find to be so powerful, I always say that it's the best book I've ever come across that functions as a catalyst for self-examination, right? So to me, it's like not even a, it's not a book, it's a tool. It's a powerful tool. It's a catalyst. And going through your book, Drawn From Here, what I wrote was this is a catalyst for seeing and designing. 100%. 100%. The reason I find that really powerful is I feel like kids these days, like poor kids these days, everybody's telling them how they should go start their own company or they should go do this and be creative and just listen to your heart and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how, okay, but how do I actually do this? Like, what are the steps? What are the mechanisms? You talked earlier in this conversation about if you're going to get good at the guitar, you start by learning other licks. You start by learning songs that other people have written. And I think this is such a helpful tool to anybody who is like, well, okay, that's great. I'll follow my heart and I'll try to be inspired. But how do, how do these things actually go? And I think you have given a blueprint and no, it's not the only one. And, and any really creative person won't just copy what you're doing. Cause that's, that wouldn't be art. But I, I think that, that you deserve real credit and praise for being like, for, as you said, pulling back the curtain. Folks, here's one example. Here's one way of doing things. And this was my way. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see um, if it does serve as a catalyst. I hope it does. I think it's going to conjure some sort of um, kind of, I don't know, creative jolt for people to some degree it just like it, like i feel like some people kind of get stuck and that's there's so it's so hard right like because you're just like oh what am i doing a lot of the time when you're in the process if you're a creative person um one of the ways that you know that you're doing something uh that's creative is if you're basically asking yourself if it's creative is this creative like i don't think this is very good or you know, you have all these doubts. That's part of the process. That's actually how you know you're doing something of worth. If you know it's going to work, it means it's been done, right? It means it's like, it's it's just something you can you can do. And the point is, it's like, I don't I don't look at my art. I look at my art and I'm like, oh, you know. First off, my art is out there, and I don't have. <laughs> I'm not a great artist by any means. Like my illustrations, my paintings, I don't look at them and go, oh my gosh, this is great. Like the minute I finish it, I'll be like, man, what is this thing? Like, you know, it's like I had a totally different idea of what I was trying to get, you know, onto the canvas here and this thing came out and, and it is what it is. But but that's just part of it. Like you, it's, you just kind of got to go on the journey, take a step, see if it feels good, if it does you know, take another. If it doesn't, you often have to take another and another. And it's just kind of, you just probe life in that way. And um, I don't know. I don't, I think it gets dangerous when you try to, uh, I don't know, marry commerce and, and art together. That's where things are like, I don't know, what's the motivation here? What are you trying to get at? And that's the one thing I tried to remove from this project was like, I don't want to make money from this film. 
I don't want to make money from this book. I'm just offering it up out there. And I wanted to, so to do that, I had to basically take a massive backseat with um, how, how I was going about it. Like typically I've been making films for a very long time. It started, you know, back in the day, you get a production advance, you could buy your film stock that would help pay your, you know, cinematographers budgets and, and basically help you transfer all the, or, or, or I suppose process and then transfer all your film. And you would work with that budget because you had this idea that you would pitch to a distribution company for this film. I had this like loose idea and yet a fully formed idea in my mind, but it was really, really challenging to upload the idea into a few different manifestations. One was the film and the other was the book. So it was difficult. It was difficult for me to describe. And what I didn't want was to be hampered by, deadlines or people being attached to it, you know, sponsors who had to market products in the film, like the products that are in that film, 90 some odd percent of the products that are in the film and the book are not <laughs> for sale anymore. They are, they're from four years ago. I mean, the very first part of the film is shot on the, on the first Pescados. Those were shot four years ago, all that tight and tight and um, slow stuff that that's like a, we're, we're on like, four or five generations past that right now in terms of the graphics. So I just kind of wanted to, to create this partition between that and make sure that I was creating the film for, um, for myself really, you know? And, and so in that sense, I was able to do it, but it was, it was a challenge financially to do it. Even right now, I'm just like, I have to pay for the book. Um, myself so i'm just trying to figure out i got a bunch of credit cards that i got together i'm going to throw them on the credit card and then when they arrive at line line will pay me back and i'll you know break even with with the project but um that's just how i had to go about it to make sure that i didn't have it attached to this other motivation i want to just just to follow up on that and just to be clear so it wasn't primarily the book wasn't primarily or or this idea was not at the at the, the forefront of your mind like this is actually going to function as a really useful tool to help people understand how we go from well one like i said i mean how to just see the world right like how to look at stuff and then how we might see and use and translate those things into design work you're saying that was something that was a clear intention or that was a kind of secondary thing? It's more of a byproduct. It's just, that is an amazing part of this project that I became aware of. And it be, so much so that I was like, I didn't show the film to a lot of people. <laughs> Let's put it that way, because I knew how influential some of the techniques that we had um, created, we're going to become like, it's just the way that people are in these industries. They kind of try something out. We were so heavily influenced by other projects. It, it's, it's part of how creative people are. We're, we're influenced. So I knew that this film was going to influence other people, but I, I was compelled to make this project for so many other reasons. And so that wasn't the, the primary reason I should, I should say. People are going to come murder me if we don't talk at least a little bit about skiing and ski design. 
No doubt. Um, no doubt. <laughs> That's partly why I was also nervous. I mean, part of this thing is you you set this, you create this like precedent. Um, and in like skiing and people are like, we want you to keep doing that. Right. And I remember having the same reaction when my heroes in the world of skating and snowboarding and surfing kind of stopped putting out parts, let's say I was crushed. And then I was, I was like, why? Um, it's a really hard thing to understand that people evolve. Right. And so, yeah. And like, then this project, this film, this book aren't necessarily about my acrobatic prowess on skis. It's not about what I can do. And in that sense, I know it will be disappointing to some people. And I, and I do like, man, I'm, Sorry to disappoint in that sense, <laughs> but it's not my focus. I felt like the most important thing was to be true to what I actually love. And, and that if I could just, if I could just capture it in such a way and offer it up, people would then see why I like it. And, and they wouldn't be, they wouldn't need the other stuff as much. My first question about skiing, you write in the book and here we're talking about ski design it never even crossed my mind to design a ski that would work for someone else. And so, right, I mean, this is a common thing. We've talked a lot about ski design, you know, more so on our Gear 30 podcast. But um, this idea of do you design for one person in particular? Do you try to design for a market? And I think here, at least, we get your answer to that question it never even crossed my mind to design a ski that would work for someone else. Yeah. It's a funny thing. I read that after we had wrote it and I thought, Oh my gosh, that's quite a statement. It is now <laughs> even hearing it. Um, I think the reason that that's had to stay in the book was it's really important to understand when ideas become homogenized. And when they start to become kind of the aggregate of a bunch of people working together and trying to fit it into all this stuff, I mean, you can create something magical in that sense and you could sell so many of them, but you have to, you have to have a goal and you have to be trying to fill a void or to, to address a, a question maybe or something like that. Um, for me, I only, the reason why I've designed in that way is that I've only, I only get X amount of chances per year as allotted by the people that I'm collaborating with. So with line skis, it'd be like, you have X amount of skis that you can create this year, which, what do you want to do with them? And I would naturally have a lot of things that I was trying to do with those skis. So I, I had to make them really specific. Um, and I had ideas of how I wanted to ski and I had ideas of things that weren't in the skis. So I just created them for me. And instead of saying like, you know, the S7 is killing it. It's selling so many. Um, you sure you don't want to try to maybe work within those parameters? I just, it just didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> it was like, it was like, nope, I've got a bunch of stuff I'm trying to do. And I'm looking for this very specific feel. And, uh, and I, and I've got some ideas and I, and I just want to like test it and, and learn from it basically. Another really I thought interesting comment in the book. Um, you say, I don't ski the way I once did. And this segues into the conversation about, well, I thought it again was interesting in the book. Like one, there is your leg injury 
I really appreciated in the book that you remind us like, that's not like that was my first injury ever. (laughs) Um, And so like, you know, you talk really well about your, you know, some of your bigger injuries and very serious ones. But then there is this, you know, Leventhal, when I was talking to him recently, he, he went on quite a bit about the seriousness of your leg injury. And, and you write in the book every day is dealing with this injury. I can't ski the way I used to, but I'm making it work. And I actually think that there's maybe a lot of us out there who didn't really understand the significance of that injury and the impact that it has had. I mean, I bet there's a lot of us who've heard some stories, oh, Pollard's like modifying a boot. But I just figure I'd I'd be remiss to not ask you a bit more about that. Yeah, that's a life-changing injury. I mean, like, that's part of the book, right? The book is like, man, I'd love to talk about cinematography and design and ski design and apparel design and, and, you know, and skiing specifically and kind of, and then, and certainly, you know, injuries. That's like one of the things as an athlete, you, you have this window of time to, uh, I don't know, to kind of create whatever it is that you want to create and, and to offer it up to the world. And, and I had a long time to to riff on skiing and, and to kind of push skiing a certain direction. And yeah, throughout that time, I picked up a lot of injuries and some of them were really tough. Um, but that injury in Russia was just a whole different ball game. And um, I just struggled through the whole thing. I think there was like this period where I finally kind of got my head above water and I went skiing for the first time. And I just remember I was just so deflated on the hill. Like I just couldn't even, I couldn't get past the pain. I was just in a traditional boot and it was my foot just felt, um, I had no control over my ski and I just thought, well, that's not good. You know, it's, it's, I thought to myself, my God, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this again. And so I just kind of went home that night and just started thinking about how I could maybe take some nods from some of the AFOs, which are like these called ankle foot orthosis that I use to, to to like kind of stabilize my foot. I have one in my foot. Like I have this, my big toe is essentially tied to this tendon that's just below my my knee where a lot of the stuff was taken out of my leg and it and it hold it like kind of pulls my foot up. And so it kind of holds it into this position. And then I've got a bunch of other almost like exoskeleton kind of stuff that I wear when I'm just walking or um, biking or whatever, surfing that that allow me to kind of hold my foot in a position so I can predict where it's going to land if I'm popping up onto my surfboard and all that sort of stuff. But on a ski boot, I thought, you know, this is going to be fine. Like I'm going to, you know, my foot is basically a big vice, but it just didn't turn out to be that way at all. It turned out to be really, really tough. And just where my skin graft was and my, the, the break and, and some of the nerve damage that was done, I just thought I, I had to start really thinking about how to get through it. So, you know, that topic, I could go on forever, but it's, I suppose it's been a hell of a journey and one that now looking back, 
I understand how much I grew in that period of time. Like it, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. You know, I have a new appreciation for being a, for, for skiing, you know, like <laughs> after being injured so much and kind of getting back to close to a hundred percent, you know, I've broken my back a couple of times and, and messed myself up so many times, but that one, it was like, Nope, you're not going to be able to do it again unless you come up with something. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just really happy I did. But like you said, I can't ski the same way. And there's this bit where it's like, like, for instance, I can barely ride groomers. Like, it's so gnarly on my leg to ride groomers. And I love riding groomers. And so it's like tough for me. I'm like, oh, man, how do I, how do I budget the amount of time I'm spending on my skis? And I suppose what you get in this book and part of the evolution and why it feels so much like a goodbye to some degree is there is I filled that void of not being able to ski with with other things even more so than I was before so I'm doing so much more design now as a result of the fact that I can't ski a lot of the time you know and is this a painful thing or is this just like I can't get my foot to go this way yes I mean it's it's pain you know, it's the weirdest thing. I think it's something that like people cultivate individually, but I have had this ability to just zero in and focus on on the task at hand, especially if I'm skiing something that's challenging. I can kind of just get in this zone and 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 everything else fades away and I can kind of just react to the situation. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that in a number of fields. But the moment that the challenge is kind of over, let's say I'm transitioning my skins or something, I'm in like tons of pain again. And so it's like, you know, there's this ability to get past the pain, but it's like with Nimbus, you could be editing, you know, five films a year and a bunch of other kind of collateral edits and advertisements and all this and that. But at some point you're gonna burn out because it's, you can't possibly keep that up that's kind of what was happening with me in my injury. It was like I was able to get past it and and focus in when when was necessary, but it feels like I can't possibly do it. There was also the scenario that the very first year that we shot for After the Sky Falls, which was the year after my injury, I rebroke my leg the second ski trip of the year. So I like, you know, I was out snowmobiling with Ben Shetler and Pep and Kimmy and the drink water crew, this the snowboard crew. And I was just, Ben Shetler and I were doing this thing where he was airing over this cornice and I was kind of getting barreled through this cornice. And I came away out of the out of that and I just made a turn and, and refractured my leg. So it's just like, I knew immediately there, like, okay, I cannot push this leg as much as I would like to. And um, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to be very careful. Do you feel like progress is being made on this leg? Is it getting any better? Is it definitely not getting any better? And so you're just trying to, you know, mitigate as best you can to make sure it doesn't get worse. Like what's the status on that? I think if anything, you know, our bodies do deteriorate <laughs> and mine is like, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's deteriorating, but there's been a lot of other injuries that have come up 
after that injury, like because, you know, my right hip and my right leg have to work overtime to compensate. And so there's, yeah, it's been really, really tough. Um, I, it's definitely not getting better. I mean, the paralysis that's in my foot and toes is, is kind of permanent as far as I know. And, um, and then in terms of just, you know, all the other stuff, that's also permanent. I mean, a lot of the problem is just all the muscle and tendons and nerves and everything that was pulled out of my leg has left my leg kind of misshaped. Um, and so it's like, it has a whole new geometry. And so there's like, there's the obvious stuff like, okay, I can't move my foot left or right or up. So if it's off the ground, it's totally dead. I have no control over it. But if it's on the ground, I can push up. So that's like the one movement I have is I can push up. And so it honestly works really, really well. And I'm not trying to like hang out, hang my dirty laundry out for everybody to see, but it's a story that I want. I don't know. I just hope that people get, have a takeaway from it. For me, I was, man, I was so twisted by that injury that I was just hoping for something to give me some inspiration. I was watching all kinds of documentaries when I was in the hospital but I didn't have something like this to be like, oh, yeah, this guy did it. Why, well, maybe I can get through something. And so part of my motivation was just sharing my story in the hopes that it might give somebody some strength. I had a conversation with a um, prominent runner and running coach named Ian Sharman. And this was on our Off the Couch podcast. And Ian and I were talking about these things and we kind of came around on a formulation that I now think about all the time. And it's just simply everything is an opportunity. And to me, as I've been, you know, had to deal with some of my own injuries and the like, I, I, the thing that I hope that I now am in a good position to think of is, you know, injuries do happen. Accidents do happen in life. And when our circumstances change, that can be very difficult and sad and upsetting. But I think the right perspective is, okay, I'm in a different spot. It means that I can't go spend time doing things that I love, might love to do, but it does mean I may be freed up or I have a new perspective. And I think our job is to take advantage of those quote unquote opportunities. And it certainly sounds like you are doing that. That's a great way of summing it up. I mean, I don't know that I was conscious of that. I was just reacting to my circumstances, but yeah, looking at it through that, lens i mean that's the it's funny like you just referenced a runner right like everyone gives themselves over to their passions wholeheartedly and it kind of helps define them and give them meaning and wonder is the beginning of philosophy because it occurs that existence is very strange which is like part of this whole thing we're just here trying to make our way it's like you're born you try to figure out what model body you were given and you just like mess around and <laughs> and you and and in my sense like the context of mountains created this content that was skiing you know and i've got get i've kind of gone that path but so many different you know environments breed so many different paths and i think people just get into it they are just you know, they, they go and that's part of this journey. I was kind of tempted to ask you about ski names. Was there any 
particular story with Opus and Magnum Opus. I mean, Magnum Opus is a great fucking name if you've already got an Opus out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that one, you know, these are all reflective of, of different ages of mine. You know, having gone through 20 years of kind of offering this stuff up, the graphics have evolved and the names have evolved with with my maturity. Um, I was, I really felt strongly about that ski. I still think it's a really great ski. Um, and that's not always true because when you're trying to kind of uh, take design elements to the extremes, you typically find some that don't work. And that's true of a lot of the skis that I've created. Some of them are maybe too soft, have too much early rise, this sort of thing. Um, but uh, I have bulging discs to, you know, prove that my exploration was genuine. I was trying to find skis that were going to allow me to ski backwards and, and to land backwards and to float differently. And there was a big, there's so many questions out there in terms of like trying to get skis to trim and plane on snow. It just wasn't happening um, with some of the narrower skis. So, but yeah, I think, I suppose I digress, but you can kind of see that that's the Opus I felt very strongly about. That ski was one of the first skis that I put out that married some of the shape and maybe width and dimensional elements that I was, that I had been, um, that I'd found worked really well in fresh snow and and kind of worked with elements that were, we were employing on the Sir Francis Bacon and, 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 and were able to kind of create the opus that worked on both. And it wasn't ultra specialized, like it had just the right amount of early rise. It had the, the correct flex pattern. So, you know, the, the profile was good. The width wasn't overly prohibitive. You could ski it on, on piste. And so I really did feel at the time that it was kind of my strongest ski, hence the name. So. Well, I sure know a lot of people who that's still their favorite ski ever. And, oh, that's uh, rad. Yeah. Uh, true story. And so um, they will be delighted to hear what you've just said about that ski. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, I did want to maybe end by talking a little bit about, um, you know, we've uh, another title that I was thinking about for your book, because um, you mentioned this, it's, it's a kind of section heading, I think, in the book, Input, Output. And um, can't let you go before asking you a little bit about some of your favorite inputs, maybe when it comes either to specific visual artists who you just really love and admire, or if there are particular film directors or films. Yeah. You know, I mean, like there's so many different inputs, right? Because I'm working in a lot of different medias. And so it's, it's, it's a challenge to say, who's been, I don't know, um, you know, in, in cinema, there's different things that just stick out to me. Um, I think on the contemporary side of things, um, Christopher Nolan was one that I was just like really amazed at his process, how deep he gets in with um, every aspect of the film. You know, he's he's not just okay, well, we'll just score the film here. He's just like, no, we got to rent out this whole cathedral and we're going to utilize this organ and we're going to record it in this way. And I'm going to work with, you know, Hans Zimmer or whoever to, 
to help kind of create the music and then we'll bring in this guy to, to play it. There's so much thought that goes into the minutia of cinema and that isn't lost on me. And so I love directors who seem to, to go that way. And then there's like kind of the guys who are really driven from their environment, like Scorsese, who's just kind of telling these stories that are reflective of his upbringing and, and his area um, and his, you know, his plot in life in a way. Um, I thought that uh, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter had a really cool take on things when she, she created, you know, Lost in Translation, for instance, like little things like that. I was like, those things just stick out to me. Um, I think that's true of like, um, if I were to flip it back to maybe somebody who dips their toes in, in multiple mediums, um, Thomas Campbell, who was creating some of these surf films that I was really into when I was younger, his visual art, his, even like the way he would write, like his font, for instance, was, um, was different than other people. And I thought, oh, that's super cool. It just like stick out to me. Um, and, and that was, that was something that I, that was a big takeaway. This cat, Dennis, uh, I, I don't even know how to say his last name, actually. It's like Villanova or something like that. And he had created this film called Arrival that I just was thought was shot so beautifully. So I'd encourage people to check out Arrival. Um, but then again, I'm partial to that kind of genre as well. So that helps, um, you know, get my interest. But so on the cinema side of things, there's there, there really are so many people that have influenced me. Um, and, and like I said, I think it comes down to this. What's neat about cinema is that you're able to combine all these different arts into one. You've got writing, you've got cinematography, you have music, you have sound design. You have so much that you're just layering together. And if each element can stand on its own legs, then you have something that's incredibly powerful. Like if you're, if you're an editor, you can quite literally strip it down and just listen to, let's say, the sound design. And you can make sure, well, this sound design by itself is strong and is entertaining in and of its own. And then you can kind of say, okay, well, let's talk up, let's look at maybe the 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 writing and, and how the actors are, you know, driving the narrative. Is that strong enough? And then then let's listen to the score. Now let's let's talk about the visuals and, and you get to kind of break each one down. It's different when you get into maybe more, I don't know, like kind of different ways of expressing yourself. Like if, if somebody is trying to, like a painting, for instance, one painting, it's like, how much meaning can you put into one painting? Well, the answer is a lot, right? But it's, is it going to be you in that one painting? Or are you going to be able to kind of allow the entire canon of your work to help define your perspective. And, and, and so I don't know, I don't know that it's, it's really hard for me to talk about my influences in that way, because they come from so many different fields. I find that I've, one thing that's helped me is that, um, I have like been really naive. That's how I've approached a lot of these things. And I've been really lucky that for instance, like Dekine allowed me 
to completely like embed with their outerwear team. And to some degree, I had no place there. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what is this guy doing? Isn't he just going to like, you know, do a flip off a cliff in this gear once we're done designing it? But if you have a humble of enough, yeah, I respected everybody's role, I should say, in there. And, and I was humble enough to kind of just um, try to understand the materials and understand what the limitations were and then to just push them just enough and, and, and sculpt something that was good for me. I think that like that sort of ability to enter into a new medium in that way is, is born from influence that could be as diverse as, you know, um, photographers and musicians and actors and shoe designers and, um, you know, directors and poets, all that input is being, you know, kind of channeled into whatever media I'm working in, in that time. And, and, and I think like, if you, if you have too much of a, I don't know, defined idea of, of the way to tackle a problem, the result is fairly predictable. And so that's, it's nice to be able to kind of come into this with like this really, I don't know, general concept of how to approach it, as opposed to this really specific understanding of one media and how to, and how to tackle the idea. So that's very well said. And yeah, I mean, right. It's, it's the list seems like the analogy is a little bit comes to mind of like a boomerang, like huck it out there, get yourself out there, go, go get weird, go find uncomfortable areas you don't know anything about. And when you return from that, um, it will most definitely impact in some probably unexpected way. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's, it's like, that's the creative process in a nutshell right there. It's just like, try to draw from as many, you know, varied experiences as you can and, and then just, you know, build it into your, into your idea. Well, Eric, this has been great. I'm excited for people to see the film drawn from here. I'm excited for them to check out the book drawn from here. And I really appreciate this chance to go over both of those things with you and talk about a whole bunch of other stuff too. It's been really great. Uh, it's been nice talking with you as well. I'm enjoying the podcast and thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to speak with you. Well, cool. Well, we will all stay tuned and um, looking forward to see uh, what's next with you. Awesome. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Eric for the conversation and be sure to watch the film when it comes out this Wednesday, December 4th. And again, the book drawn from here will come out mid-December and will be available for purchase at lineskis.com. I also want to say thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these conversations, we'd ask you to tell your friends about the show and leave us a nice rating in iTunes. Thanks, everybody. Now, please take good care out there and we will talk to you again next week.